Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it has spoken to us. Thank you that it has spoken to your people down the centuries. We pray, Lord, that as we spend time around it now, that you would speak, bless us and encourage us, help us to hear your voice. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Today we're uh, beginning, there's lots of beginnings today, new school term, new uh, children's groups, and also we're beginning uh, a new uh, time of study together. We're going to be thinking about this letter that Paul wrote uh, to the church in Corinth. And just a, just a couple of little slides, I know it's not terribly easy to see, but just so that you know where Corinth is, um, that's the, the Mediterranean, you see Italy sticking out there with its boot, and just to the, to the right is, is, is Greece. And um, Corinth uh, was or is uh, in Greece. And then just to do a little sort of close-up on that, uh, that's the, the, the sort of that bottom bit of, of, um, of Greece. And you can see uh, that uh, Corinth uh, is just slightly down from Athens. So no great surprise that Paul is at Athens, and then from Athens he goes on uh, to, to Corinth. And uh, uh, we know uh, from, from what happens in the book of Acts, but also from uh, what the scholars tell us, that it was an important city. Um, it was a strategic city. It was on a little sort of strip of land. Um, and uh, if, if they sort of controlled that strip of land, so that if you, uh, if you weren't nice to them or you didn't pay them what they wanted, you had to go all the way around. Um, so uh, they were quite a, a powerful city and quite a wealthy city, and they were a port, so probably uh, a cosmopolitan city. And uh, Paul spent 18 months there spends a year and a half uh, teaching and preaching. And both Jews and Gentiles come to faith. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it, that uh, Paul, uh, on the one hand, uh, sees his primary ministry, primary mission to uh, the Jewish people to tell them that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, but also uh, he reaches out more and more uh, to Gentiles. And both Jews and Gentiles come to faith. So there's a mixed bag of people coming to know Jesus in this ancient city. And the scholars, the people who wrote, write the book, suggest that Paul was there in the sort of early 50s. So only sort of about 20 years after uh, Jesus' death on the cross. So really, uh, very early on, Paul is there preaching, telling people about Jesus, and the church is born. There are other leaders there too. Priscilla and Aquila, we've heard about. They were tent makers. Uh, they'd been, they were Jews. They'd been thrown out of Rome uh, because of uh, this emperor saying all the Jews had to leave. The, the Jewish people, uh, it's very hard for them to get rest, isn't it? Wherever they go, they are persecuted. And there we are. We get another evidence of it in the first century. The Roman emperor tells them they have to leave Rome. Um, and you get this very vibrant church that is born full of spiritual gifts and with a special interest in prophecy and knowledge and wisdom. We'll see that as we go through. So there's this, this church, this important place, lots of different people coming to know Jesus. But there are problems. 
there are problems. And we'll see this as we go along. There are lots of divisions, tensions, and rivalries. Okay, lots of them. And we'll see this as we read. There's lots of questions about the body. It's really weird. Um, can I eat this food or can't I eat this food? What does it mean uh, to, to have sexual morality as a Christian? What is marriage? Is it good or bad? What about the resurrection? Is that something that happens to the body or not? All these questions about, about physical being. And lots of other questions too about how the Christians should conduct themselves when they come together in worship. And clearly the reason Paul talks about these things is because they were happening. There were divisions. There were problems about the way people were behaving physically. And there were problems when the uh, people of God came together, when they actually met together. There were problems. In other words, and I'm really sorry you can't see this picture quite as well as I'd like you to. In other words, the church in Corinth was messy, but beautiful. Lots of gifts, strengths, different sorts of people, lots of things they could do. Beautiful, but messy. And again, sorry you can't see the picture terribly well. It's messy and beautiful. Beautiful and messy. It's a bit like us, isn't it? We're beautiful. Trust me, from where I'm standing, you all look beautiful, okay? Beautiful, but my, are we messy, okay? We are, aren't we? We are. We look inwards just for a minute. We know we're a mess, aren't we? Not, not don't get me wrong, Jesus loves us, and he's at work, okay? Remember the favourite fridge magnet? Sorry, I've told you there's too many. Favourite fridge magnet I've ever seen, had the caption, don't worry, oh, no, 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 be, be, be patient, God hasn't finished with me yet, okay? And the fridge magnet is in the shape of a... Nobody's listening. Caterpillar, okay? In a caterpillar. It's the shape of a caterpillar, okay? Be patient. God hasn't finished with me yet. Okay. Messy, but beautiful. Okay. So that's why I think it's a really special letter, a really good letter, a letter that addresses a church that's a bit like us. Messy, but beautiful. And Paul starts by talking about the cross, about this passage that we have thought about this morning, where he talks about the cross as the foolishness of God. Paul is unflinching, very, very clear, that the foundation for everything is this message, this message of Christ crucified. And he knows that this story is foolish and weak. And as soon as you start to think about the cross, and if you can, as it were, in your head, take a, a sort of metaphorical step backwards and look again at the cross, you know that it's foolish. How can this be how God reveals his glory? A man tortured and broken, and bleeding, and dying. How can this be how God reveals himself? Surely this is stupid, and surely this is weak. 
the reason the Romans put that sign up above Jesus' uh, uh, cross, which you, you often see in, 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 in churches, I-N-R-I, it, it, it's Jesus Nazareth Rex Judaeus, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And they write it in different languages. They want everybody to know this is your king and this is what we can do to him. It is weak. It is the sign of humiliation. It is. It doesn't make sense. How can this be? how God reveals himself. And yet we know, don't we, that it makes sense to those who believe, who have seen in Jesus the revelation of God, who have seen in Jesus the word made flesh, who have seen in Jesus God stepping into our beautiful, broken and messy world and saying look this is how much i love you and he teaches and he preaches and he heals and he performs miraculous signs and he lifts up the brokenhearted and he restores people and what does he get for this he gets put on a cross and god will not step in when jesus cries out my god my god why have you forsaken me the father could have done anything at that point we know don't we jesus says so could not my father send 12 legions of angels but there is no answer jesus dies and in this giving away of his power, in this giving away of everything he is, we see the supreme act of God's love. All that you have to throw at me, I will take. And I will show you that here is where sin is dealt with. Here is where love triumphs. Here is where the revolution begins. And suddenly we glimpse that here is the strongest and most powerful and most wonderful thing there has ever been. This is how God chooses to redeem the world. This is how God chooses to restore us to himself. He loves us to the end and he stretches out our, his arms and even if we put those arms on the cross, he will not stop loving us. And suddenly we see that here is the strongest act and the wisest thing we have ever seen. Sin is dealt with. Death is defeated. And we have the opportunity to step into new life. The foolishness 
of the cross underlies everything. This is the beauty and the power and the wonder of what it means to be a Christian, that here in this moment, God redeems the world. So what does it mean? Firstly, let's not be surprised if other people don't understand it. People didn't understand it when Paul preached. We, sometimes I think to myself, well, if you, if you just see the cross, if you just see the cross, then surely you'll get it. Lots of people see the cross and they scratch their heads and they don't get it. This is it. Think particularly of, of uh, wonderful, wonderful, beautiful, glorious Muslim friends. Lovely people, kind, gentle, the sort of people I would like to be when I grow up. They look at the cross and they, they say, you can't, you can't believe this. You can't believe this. This isn't how God does it. And yet it is. This is how God does it. Don't be, don't be surprised if people don't understand it. Pray that their eyes will be opened. Because ultimately, to understand the cross is a spiritual act. It is a spiritual work. It is only when God enables us to see what he does in and through this act that we, too, are caught into its beauty and its power. I think so often we, we worry about trying to tell people about Jesus. Telling people about Jesus is a wonderful thing. Do take every opportunity you've got. But far more, ask that the Spirit of God opens their eyes, that they will see all that he has done for them. And then finally, I want to ask, as we begin our journey through this letter, to stay focused on this truth. You know, sometimes you can hear something that Paul says, and, and, and you can go off in the wrong direction. He says, Jews seek for signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ. You can end up thinking, they're wrong, they're wrong, we're right. And you end up getting to a place which can actually be a bit arrogant. Can I, say, I know you're probably not thinking that, but that is the furthest away from where we should be. What God does through the cross brings us to our knees and says, Lord, this is the way that you have chosen to do it. Thank you for opening my eyes. Forgive me if I have ever been arrogant or proud about this. Let me stay focused on what you have done. Let me continue to enjoy this moment of strength and wisdom and wonder that the world sees as foolishness. Keep me humble. This is the way you choose to do things.
when we look out on the world, we see, don't we, very powerful people inflicting their will on it. It's easy to think, isn't it, if only the church were more powerful, if only we could dictate, if only we ruled the world. Do you know what? If we ruled the world, it would be just as bad. But when we look at the cross, we begin to see hope for the world because this is the way Jesus does it. Not by coercion, not by bullying, but by showing that this is true strength, that sin is dealt with and death is defeated and a new way begins, a way that can change us and can change the world. So as we begin our journey through 1 Corinthians, we remember this central part of our faith, the foolishness of the cross, the weakness of the cross. It is foolish and it is weak and it is wonderful and it is glorious and it is the way God has chosen to do it. Amen.